let's just jump in. I'm going to start by praying, and then we'll get into the passage. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to come to you as your children, to see you as you are, to know that we can come to you with all of our needs, to know that you are a Father who gives good gifts, and this teaching is one of them. Uh, Lord, we desperately need to know how to pray. We desperately need to know how to communicate with you. Um, Lord, and I, I pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that you would open our eyes. Um, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Amen. Well, when I was a teenager... A young teenager, uh, I saw my brother playing guitar all the time. And I was always vaguely musical, you know, the kind of kid who gets out pots and pans and pretends like they're playing the drums. Parents loved that. Um, but I never formally picked up an instrument. So I asked my dad after seeing my brother play guitar and other people play guitar, can you get me one of those? <laughs> I want to learn, I want to understand how to play guitar. So uh, my dad was ecstatic about this, and he said, yeah, sure, I'll get you a guitar. Uh, and one Saturday, he came back from the local swap meet um, or flea market. I don't know what you guys call it here. Um, and he had this little acoustic guitar. Uh, it was exactly what I wanted, um, but I, I knew very little about playing guitar. All I knew was you press something down on this side and you pluck a string on this side. So it started out quite awkward. Um, but I did learn a song very quickly. Um, it was uh, the Jaws theme tune, you know, da-na, da-na. <laughs> it, um, it didn't take me very long, um, but after I got about halfway through working out, I don't know what it is about theme tunes, um, working out the James Bond theme tune, thank you, Daniel, um, I thought I might need to learn something a little bit better. So I asked my dad, can you teach me something? So he sat me down, he shaped my hand, and he said, this son is a C chord. I was like, whoa. So I started playing the C chord and just banging on the strings. I must have done it for 30 minutes. Um, and he came back, and I was like, can you teach me something else? He said, sure. So he showed me a G chord. It's like, this is amazing, too. And it's just these revelations. He, then he showed me a D chord. And then he showed me an E minor chord. Um, and he said, with these four chords, son, you can become a worship leader. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, that's not what he said. Um, but the, the point still stands. He, he taught me four chords um, that actually meant I, didn't, I couldn't just play a song. I could play a lot of songs, hundreds of songs, thousands of songs. Uh, because what he taught me was a pattern. And he taught me how the pattern worked together. Um, and when he did that, it opened me up to be able to play the things I really wanted to play. And, and that's what Jesus does for us in the Lord's Prayer. He, he doesn't just give us a prayer to pray. He does that, absolutely. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we can pray, that we do pray in church. Um, but it's also a pattern. Um, and it's, it's a pattern that we can follow. And if we can follow this pattern, 
Jesus says it will teach you how to pray. And often I feel like, in our culture, I'm the same way, when I need to learn something, when I need to do something, I, I look for something new, <laughs> the, you know, the fast trick, someone must have figured this out um, recently, uh, the cutting edge, and I'm sure there are countless, I know, there are countless people, gurus, you know, books out there that will teach you how to pray, and I'm sure that they're fine. I've read a few of them, some of them are great, some of them a little iffy, um, but Instead of looking at something new and cutting edge, in these next couple weeks, what we're going to be doing is continuing our dive into something really old, something that might feel stale, might feel super familiar. Um, and I would say it's even, it's kind of like the, the family scent of prayers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know how your house has a smell, um, and then you go into someone else's house, and you're like, oh, this smells like this house but then you just don't realize your own smell because you're just so familiar to it. Like, it, it is, it's a part of you, it's around you. That's kind of how the Lord's Prayer can become, especially for Christians. You hear it all the time. It's just something we say, and it's something that we do. But I think that the familiarity that we have with the Lord's Prayer is one of the worst downfalls that we have with it because it is so rich, it is so life-changing, it is so powerful, and it's so simple. Um, so for those of us who are, who are really eager to learn to pray, um, to figure out how to actually do this thing, um, you know, prayer that's more than just wishful thinking or for calming down or for like a version of Christian mindfulness, um, we don't need a new technique. Uh, we actually need to have a fresh perspective on something that's really old. So when Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, he's inviting us into that space, that lesson. What we learned out last week, right? He's, he's inviting us to learn, relearn, unlearn what we think about prayer. And as we'll unpack the pattern of prayer over the next couple weeks, I really believe if, if we grab this pattern, if we, if we envelop it, if we put it into practice into our prayer lives, we'll actually start to build the relationship that prayer was meant to build, the relationship with God. So we're just going to look at two things today in this passage. One is the pattern of prayer. We're going to actually look at the pattern, figure out a little bit of what it is, um, and then we're going to look at the priority of the prayer. So the pattern of prayer and the priority of the prayer, that's a lot of Ps. You're welcome for those of you who like alliteration. Um, and just to recap from last week, those of you who weren't here, uh, we, we closed last week looking at the point of prayer. And we looked at the fact that prayer isn't just something that's transactional. It's not something where we say, God, if I pray this prayer, then you need to do this. Um, because God's not a vending machine, um, and he's not an eternal genie. Um, he's not a, a tyrant in the sky that we need to appease. Rather, Jesus invites us to pray to God like our Father in heaven, um, and specifically as our Father in heaven. And when we looked at last week, what that means is we, we get to pray to God like he's always ready to hear from us, and he knows exactly what we need. Or to put it in another way, 
Pray to him like a father who never leaves and always provides. Because the point of prayer isn't just to get something from God, it's to have a relationship with him. And last week we were left on a little bit of a, of a knife edge because we talked about kind of how you approach prayer, but we, don't, we didn't talk about what you actually say. <laughs> um, which is, a, you know, how you approach prayer as a relationship is foundational to actually doing the action of praying and knowing it's a relationship and not a transaction. But, but if we're going to pray like Jesus taught us to pray, uh, we need to actually know what we should ask for. Or, as Jesus said in, in verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Maybe our, our better question is, okay, then what does the father know we need to ask him for? And this is the prayer that Jesus invites us into. How do we even do this kind of prayer? What do we ask for? How does this work? And that's when we go into the pattern of prayer. So just in a minute, we're going to do what we did earlier in the service and say the Lord's Prayer out loud together. But before we do, I have a question for you. Um, do you know where we get the phrase, under the weather? You all know what under the weather means, right? It means you're sick. <laughs> it means you're really not feeling good. You don't want to be seen by anybody. Do you know where we get the phrase? It's fascinating. Um, it's a, it's a seafaring term. It's a maritime term. It's a nautical term. It's about ships. Um, when people on ships were in big storms, you know, have you ever been on a ship in the sea and it tosses back and forth? I'm one of those people. You, if you're one of those people, you probably just started feeling sick. Um, I know I did. Um, but what they would do is if you were feeling sick, they would put you below deck under the weather. Yeah, I know, right? Um, because you'd be protected, protected from the storm and you would be away from the sway. That would make you feel worse. So that feeling that you just had of, oh, that's, that's why we do that. That's the feeling that I want you to capture and say, how do we do that with the Lord's Prayer? How do we do that with the Lord's Prayer? Get behind the just base meaning that we all are, think we know what it means. So we're going to do that by first reading it. And as we read it, I want you to think about the things that you're reading. And you might think, I don't know exactly what that means. So let's read it together. It's on the slide. It's also in your bulletin on the first page as well. So let's read, starting Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here's a really simple exercise. Did you notice any repeated words? Any repeated words? You can go to the next slide. We see your, our, and us repeated multiple times. And you might be like, well, I didn't need a grammar lesson today. But as you, as you look, they're, they're in a specific order, and they're in a specific 
place, right? Your king, your name, your kingdom, your will, our Father, our daily bread, our debts, our debtors, and give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Now, when Jesus gave us this prayer, he knew what he was doing. He was, he was a smart guy. Um, he gave us something memorable. He gave us a pattern. He gave us um, something poetic. And it has a structure. It has a flow. It has a cadence. And you're supposed to notice that. Um, it's not just something that you say. Um, and it's probably one of the reasons why we're able to remember it so well. And what you see in this structure is you see at the beginning, right, um, our Father in heaven. That's the address. That's who we're speaking to, right? And then we see six petitions. We see, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see, give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors, and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But even from there, I, I kind of parsed them out, but you see one section is focused on God, right? Your name, your kingdom, your will. And the other section is focused on us, our needs, right? Our daily bread, our debts, lead us not into temptation. Now, this is a really simple point, but it's, it's really profound, right? We can, we can think of prayer simply as coming to God with the things that we need, simply coming to God with our own stuff. But what this prayer is saying is, Prayer, or it's actually more 50-50 than that. And it actually, it has an order. Right? Do you see the order? It starts with God and ends with us. It starts with God and ends with us. There's a priority. You know, it, it's, it's like when your parents would say, you can't just have ice cream for every meal, even though that would be great. Uh, especially in the summer. Um, but you need a balanced diet, and that's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's trying to show us that prayer isn't just about one thing. Um, it's about a whole host of things, and, and actually including all of those things means that you can have and build that relationship with God. And you can do that by prioritizing the Father's prioritizing or priorities. Because putting God first in your prayers, like Jesus says here, is actually really understanding and getting to know God as who he is and what he is about and what he is doing in the world. So that's where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time today, in that section of what what does your mean? What, what are we saying when we say, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done? All right, you ready? You ready to jump in there? Yeah? Okay, let's go. Let's talk about the priorities of the kingdom. So there's three major priorities, like I've said over and over again, right? It's hallowing God's name. It's the fact that his kingdom come and his will be done. And Jesus would know, and, and, and the reason he's giving us these things isn't because he's trying to beat us over the head with it, but he knows we need a reminder because the things that are right in front of us, our needs, they're imminent, right? They're like right here, right now. We feel them all the time. But what, what Jesus is trying to do is tr trying to get us to look at the big picture, the bigger perspective. 
So let's look at that big picture and why it's important to God. So we start with the address, though. We, we need to know who we're talking to, as we said last week. God's a father in heaven. And Jesus reminds us of this because it's really easy to picture God as something other than a father in heaven. And this, everything else flows from that idea that, that he is always ready to hear whatever we have to say and always able to provide whatever we need. So looking at that God, we say these three things, starting with, hallowed be your name. So when was the last time you hallowed something? Thanks. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would know the last time I hallowed something, but when we actually look at this word hallowed, you'll know, you'll know what it means. The root word is holy. Right? The, the root word is holy, um, and to hallow something is, is kind of like it's to holy something. Stay with me. Um, it's to make it holy. But we also know what this means because we use the word very similarly in our word holiday. Holiday. Holy day. Right? It's a day, like the 4th of July, it's set apart and distinct for rest, for celebration, for remembrance. You know, the 4th of July we just celebrated, right? It was to enjoy our freedoms. It was to watch a small town parade in Sierra Madre, which was adorable, as we did. Um, it's, it's to go and see fireworks with friends. Um, because we're celebrating something. We are setting a day apart. We're taking time off work. We are setting it apart and saying, this day is distinct among all other days, and I want it to be special, and I want it to be known for what it is. That's holying a day. <laughs> that's hallowed be this day, right? Um, so when we hallowed something, that's what we're doing. We're setting it apart, making it special. We're making it distinct. So what does it then mean to hallow God's name? Well, if you think about name, you don't, don't just think about like the actual name, like Clint or Hannah or Joy or Daniel. Um, but name means reputation. It means character. And especially God's name in the Bible, it, it means how has he chosen to reveal himself. So we'll look at a passage that we actually look at quite a lot because it's, it's a significant turning point in the, um, in the Old Testament when God declares his own name. So it's in Exodus 34. It's going to be on the screen above me, starting in verse 5. Moses had asked God, can I see your glory? And this is what God does. He says, then, then the Lord came in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So what does God say when he says, this is my name? He doesn't just say, I, I am, simply. He, he says, 
this is who I am and this is my character. So then, if you think about that, what does it mean then to hallow his name? We're asking to make God's character and actions and reputation celebrated, to make them distinct among all other gods, to have them be revealed as they truly are. But do you see how great this is? Even in the prayer, when we say, hallowed be your name, what we're doing is hallowing God's name. So what we're actually doing is setting apart a time to say, now is the time when I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to take time out of my day. I'm going to take time out of my week to just say, you are great. And I want to know who you are in a deeper and better way. And that act of praying is actually what celebrates that fatherhood, his nearness, his power, his strength. And something helpful as well to say in the whole of the Lord's Prayer, or in the first three petitions, they're all qualified. It doesn't look like it in the text, but they're all qualified with that petition of on earth as it is in heaven. So we can also say, Lord, let your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. So we get pictures of what happens in heaven of angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, day in, day out, day in, day out. So they're always making God holy and distinct and declaring who he is. And by praying this prayer and prayers like it about God's character, about his name, what we're doing is making him holy. What we're doing is making him separate, distinct, and, and truly saying who he is. And that's super important for relational prayer, as we looked at last week, because that's the act of, of setting God apart as he really, truly is as Father. So that's the first thing, is we set a God apart for who he is and pray prayers like that. Second is your kingdom come. So if you picture yourself in the first century following Jesus, if you were to be on the mount where the Sermon on the Mount happened, what would you hear him say? What, what teachings come to mind, right? You know, maybe love your neighbor as yourself, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, but the thing you would have heard God in Christ say over and over and over and over again was the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom. And we also see him say the kingdom of heaven, and those are really just interchangeable terms. Simply put, the kingdom is God's rule and his reign, and that was what Jesus was all about. But don't think like hostile takeover, you know, um, but, but think God establishing a territory here on earth. Think of the kingdom of God as a place where God dwells. It's, it's God's space. Um, and I actually have a little diagram here. Can you go to the other one? Great. So the, the kingdom of God totally is where heaven, God's space, and earth, our space, are in the same place. <laughs> when they are perfectly aligned. So the last time that's happened was in the Garden of Eden. When God created the world, he said it was good, and man and God dwelled in the same place. Now, at the fall, what happened 
was those places ripped. And the whole story of the Bible, very simply, is what God is doing to make them come back together. So when Jesus comes and preaches about the kingdom of God, what he's doing is that. He's, he's making God's space enter into our space. And that overlap, where our space and God's space meet, that's the kingdom of God. So where mercy and justice are, where God is proclaimed, where the humble are exalted and the proud are brought low, where the highest values of the kingdom, even those where you love your enemies as yourself, that's where the kingdom of God will appear. Or simply put, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is a place where people love God, the true God, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. Now, I understand this is kind of hard to wrap your head around. It was really hard for Pharisees to wrap their head around, and they were kind of the scholars of the Bible. But that was because they were expecting a physical kingdom. They were expecting God to come and, and wipe out the Romans and establish his reign on earth. And that might sound quite familiar. <laughs> generation after generation of people after people have thought what God's kingdom is, is him establishing his rule on earth in a physical location. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's thinking way bigger than that. He's thinking cosmically, how is God bringing these two things together? And that's exactly what Jesus is about. But this, is, this should be an encouragement because we can think of the kingdom of God in two ways. We can think of it as too literal, as in it's going to be a literal kingdom that's going to be established here on earth or in America. Or we can think of the kingdom of God as that thing that's going to happen one day when Jesus comes back and we're just toughing it out until then. What Jesus says is neither of those things. <laughs> he says the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. And when we pray for God's kingdom to come, what we're praying for is that the rule and reign of Christ would be present. So in the church right now, as we are declaring God's name, as we're lifting up his praise, as we are loving one another, the kingdom of God is here. And it's a beautiful thing because we actually get to see the work of heaven coming to join earth. Now, it won't be full, you know, right? The kingdom of God is here, but it's not totally here. The kingdom of God is, if you are in Christ, is in you, but I'm sure that you've not totally given up to his rule and reign in your life. The kingdom of God is partially here, but it's not fully here, and that's exactly why we need to pray this prayer. Your kingdom come. Because the more and more that God's kingdom comes, the more we get to see Jesus in all of our lives and coming in to change, to restore, to redeem. And that's what we see here happening. Especially at our church, I've been so encouraged to see the kingdom of God start to just appear here over simple Bible studies in the men's room, over simple times of the women getting together to share meals we actually get to see that love for one another. We get to see 
the service of one another. We get to see God's word highlighted. We get to see these things. But just like citizens of a kingdom who aren't quite up on the customs of the king, we are still getting there, right? I don't know if you feel like that. Um, but I am still figuring out what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But when we pray your kingdom come, that's what we're praying for. We're praying that not only your kingdom would come here in the church, in our community, but your kingdom would come in our lives, in our hearts, that we would continue to submit to God's rule. Because in heaven, God's kingdom is total and it's established. And when we're praying your kingdom come, we're praying that heaven would, would break in to earth. And this is, this is so important to understanding relational prayer because we are inviting God to come and rule and reign in our hearts. So if the kingdom coming is, is realizing his kingship and not our own kingdom, the rubber really meets the road on the next petition, which is your will be done. Your will be done. So we, we talk a lot about God's will as Christians. I'm not really sure if we all know what we mean by that. Um, it's one of those confusing terms that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but everyone kind of says it quietly and hopes that you know what they mean by it, right? Um, and there are a lot of ways to look at God's will, but we're going to look at two major ways to understanding this prayer. First, in... In Matthew's gospel, God's will is seen as man's obedience. So we see God, we see Jesus saying, my brothers and sisters are those who do the will of God. Um, he says, you'll keep my commands if, if you're doing the will of God. So the, the primary part of this is our choice to either be obedient to God's commands or not. That's doing the will of God. But also there's the big will of God, which is what we mean sometimes, which is God's sovereign plan. It's the way he's going to bring about his kingdom, which is often totally out of our control and often something that frustrates us more than anything else as Christians, asking questions of how did it get this way and why does it have to happen this way? But we can choose to either trust or not trust that will. You can think of it a little bit like um, uh, A.W. Tozer uses this analogy, but um, a little bit like a cruise ship that leaves from um, the East Coast and going to Liverpool. <laughs> um, when you get on the cruise ship, you are on a, a ship, and you're not choosing how you get to Liverpool, right? You're not choosing the direction. You're not choosing the way. Um, but you know that you'll eventually get there. Now, as someone who is on that ship, there are choices you can make on your way. There are rules that you can either choose to follow on the cruise ship or not. I would not suggest breaking rules on a cruise ship because there's nowhere to go if you're caught. Um, but, but that's kind of part of the picture here, right? It's, there's freedom within God's bigger plan. But ultimately, God is moving this along to where it needs to go. He's establishing his kingdom in the way that
that he needs to establish it. But there is that freedom to choose to follow the captain's rules or not. And the, the reality is you're going to get there one way or another. So what are we praying when we pray your will be done? Well, we're praying two things. We're praying, Lord, that people would obey you, that they would know your right way to live, the, the way that Jesus called the abundant life but also that we would trust God's plan, that we would trust his will for our life, that we trust his plan for redemption and realize that, that he actually is going to accomplish his purposes. And I would say this one, more than most for me personally, has been the bedrock of, of my relationship with God because this is where the trust prayer comes in. When we say, your will be done, not ours, that's the submission, that's the trust. And that's where it gets really hard. Because when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, in heaven we see a picture of everyone and every being perfectly following God's will and perfectly enjoying God. We see at the beginning of the Westminster Catechism that it says the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Those two things are what it means to be living in the center of God's will and for us to trust his will to be done. You know, but if you've been a Christian for any sort of time, I don't have to tell you how hard it is to trust in God's will for your life. I don't have to tell you how hard it is to pray this prayer, your will be done. Because there are going to be so many things that we don't understand why they're happening or how they have to happen, and we won't until the new creation. But we, we can follow this pattern of prayer, right? Praying prayers that hallow God's name and make it distinct. We can pray that his kingdom would come. It would break into our lives and we would see justice and mercy and grace. And we can pray this prayer of trust, that your will would be done. <clears throat> but we can only do that when we see what Christ himself has done. Do you remember what Christ did in the garden? You'll remember this, this prayer he prayed, because he too had a hard time accepting the Father's will. Even though he knew it completely, he said, to his disciples the night before he died, my soul <clears throat> is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he prayed twice. My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he prayed it again. <laughs> my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. And the cup that, that Jesus was going to drink was the cup of God's judgment. For the times that we said, just like Adam and Eve at the beginning, no, I don't want to live in your kingdom. I don't want your name to be hallowed. I want my name to be hallowed. I don't want your kingdom to come. I want to build my own. I don't want your will to be done. I want to do my own. That's why Jesus had to drink the cup. 
because he needed to do that on our behalf. Knowing completely that he was doing that for us. And you see what's happening here. We put God first in our prayers because he put us first on the cross. We put God first in our prayers because he put us first on the cross. Jesus gave up his life so that we could pray freely to the Father. Because there's no other way we could come knowing that these things are good things and trusting. And Jesus wants us to say these prayers each day and sometimes multiple times a day because they're, they're not only important things to do, but, but do you see that, that progression? These prayers are not only the prayers that keep us going in the Christian life, but they're the prayers that help us enter into the Christian life. What, it is, was it, what is it to become a Christian than to say, God, my name isn't the most important, yours is. My kingdom didn't work and only left me in grief. May you rule and reign my life. Your will be done. I want to trust and submit to your process, for purposes for my life, whatever you bring. That's what it is to not only become a Christian, but to keep going in the Christian life. And, and Jesus holds these priorities out in front of us to say, this is, this is what your heart should long for, but you're going to have to wrestle your heart there. So let me give you these prayers so that you can do that. So this week, as you're thinking about prayer, as you are coming to God with these petitions, what, what do you really need to pray? What is this a pattern for in your life? Where in your life do you actually need to say, God, not my name, but your name. Be hallowed. God, not my kingdom, but your kingdom come. God, not my will, but your will be done. Because that is the start of this intimate relationship in prayer with God. And when we pray that pattern of prayer that Jesus gives, we start to learn what it is to really submit to his rule, trust in his will. And each prayer after that actually finds its true place. So let's pray and ask that that would happen in our lives this week. Father, it's so easy. It's so easy to, to start with us because that is how we're bent. But we thank you for this prayer from Christ who shows us what it truly means to, to prioritize what you prioritize. Lord, may that give us life. May that help us enjoy you in relationship. May that show us the, the thing that you called the abundant life. Because as we, Lord, as we looked at today, we were made to be in your kingdom. And that's where we flourish. That's where we thrive. But I pray that by praying these three petitions this week to a loving and gracious present and providing Father, that they would start to shape us and change us into people who love and, Lord, delight in you and your kingdom. Amen.